And welcome to another episode of the 42 to Doomsday podcast. My name is Robert. And I'm Mark. And tonight we're going to be looking at Doctor Who biographies, this time from the fan perspective with our special guest, Richard Nolan. After we spoke with Richard Marsden about his forthcoming biography of Verity Lambert, we thought we'd have a chat with the merchandising maestro himself, Richard Nolan, about the fan perspective on Doctor Who biographies. So, take it away, Richard. We welcome back our resident merchandising maestro, Richard Nolan. Hi, Richard. Welcome back to 42 to Doomsday. Hello. Thanks for having me back on. Absolute pleasure. So, Richard, uh, what sort of uh, what sort of Doctor Who biographies are there out there? Are, there? are they mainly a bland affair, or are there ones out there that are of a particular interest and, uh, and why? Well, there are certainly ones I've enjoyed more than others. Uh, <laughs> I'll say that straight off the bat. Uh, look, look, some of them are definitely lighter in content. I mean, look, they give you a bit of the actor's life story, you know, a few career highlights and uh, a few anecdotes about guest stars and that sort of thing. Uh, not, not that they're all uninteresting, but um, I, I guess if you're looking uh, for something more sensational or, you know, people to name names um, or address the uh, long-standing rumours, that that doesn't happen in a lot of them. I mean, the, the, the J&T one made an incredible stir when it came out, as you had the sort of the first thing with the tabloids, you know, looking for another scandal, uh, sort of post Jimmy Savile, um, and then you know the, the the bit I think you touched on in your last podcast where they were offering you know tens of thousands of pounds for somebody who'd, who'd sneak them a copy, um, mm. so they could splash it all over the front page. But and then of course there was that terrible thing where they uh, were talking about the sex pest in, in there, and they put a picture of Colin Baker on the front page of uh, one of the papers. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, when he arced up, they printed this tiny, piddly little retraction somewhere buried deep in the middle of the newspaper. But um, shame that was that was very sad. So there, there was that. And then, of course, when it is released, it makes a bit of a splash with the fans because, uh, I mean, the light it shines on on J and T and really the entire, really the entire production of the series in the 1980s. Um, as I said, it, it is one of the better ones. Um, with the possible exception of Andrew Cartmel, really none of the major players come out of it looking particularly well. So that was um, that. That was certainly a, an interesting book. I, I, it's actually one I'm rereading at the moment. So I've mentioned Annika Wills, as, as I was uh, very honest. So that was surprising. Um, Matthew Waterhouse's one was another one I got a lot out of. I wasn't expecting to, but when I um, when I got it, it, it really it's very honest about his time on the series. And and he uh, yes, it's had that whole written in the third person thing. But he's quite honest about you know he was young and inexperienced experienced and you know all these people really just sort of pushed him around he didn't know what to do and you know he found the whole thing an incredibly demeaning experience and and then of course he gets with Davison and and that's a whole different dynamic and he really just doesn't seem to fit in with that uh, that that group at all I suppose it's no surprise that he wrote it in the third person to you know distance himself more from the disappointment in a sense I thought so I mean he says in the the the, um, introduction he did it sort of so he could remain objective about it but yeah, I, I must admit, I got the impression it was really so he could distance himself from it, really, because um, you sort of read the book and it's just, I mean, you sort of have the, the thing, I guess, with Adric. Once you sort of get out of uh, the Tom Baker period, I mean, Adric really becomes a bit of a fifth wheel in terms of a lot of the, the way he's scripted in the stories. And uh, that sort of comes through again with him because you sort of got, you know, Peter Davison's never there. Janet Fielding's an immensely strong personality. Um, and, and he sort of, you know, he and Sarah Sutton are just sort of treated like the, the sort of the two children in the group. And then, of course, he's written out and they pretty much all turn their backs on him. So, 
Lovely, lovely. Yeah, nice, isn't it? Do you get the impression? I mean, you've obviously read more biographies than uh, I have, anyway. Is the impression that you gain of their stories about Doctor Who the the, the writers are walking away with a positive? Viewpoint, those people who've written their own autobiographies, have they, they had positive experiences on the show in, in the main? Most of them. Matthew, I mean, look, I, I don't, I guess, uh, look, you know, probably at, at the end of it all, Matthew Waterhouse probably would say, you know, look, he, he came, probably was better off for having done it, even if it's only because, look, he's now got big finish work and he's on the con circuit, but, um, if I was being a bit cynical, but... No, on the whole, look, most of them, I mean, they all talk about, you know, bloody how much they love the show and how much they enjoyed being on it. Um, you know, and how wonderful it was to work with their respective guest star. I mean, look, nobody's really, I guess, going to come out and say, you know, look, I didn't like whoever and we had a very fractious working relationship, um, which is perhaps why uh, Louise Jameson never written a book, um, possibly. <laughs> but, um, you know, uh, I, I guess you, you could take a, a, a sceptical approach and say, look, perhaps in some instances they may be pandering to the market perhaps, but um, no, look, they're overwhelming positive, uh, overwhelmingly positive about their time on the show. What do Doctor Who biographies and autobiographies offer the fans of the show? I guess uh, I guess, like any biography, you, you'd pick it up because you find the person interesting. Uh, sort of a, a window, uh, if you like, into the life and career of your favourite sportsman, actor, or public figure, or whatever. Although, really, if you're coming at this from the angle of uh, Doctor Who fans buying biographies of the people they see in the show there's uh, probably the added uh, added attraction of hopefully getting some additional insight into uh, behind the scenes of the series or uh, a few juicy bits of gossip or whatever. Having said that, I mean, look, a lot of the biographies out there don't have a lot of Doctor Who content, uh, which I imagine would put some readers off. I mean, look, they are a bit of a niche market. Um, I I think depending on the fan, you're you're either keen uh, to hear about Liz Sladen's childhood and her early years working in theatre, uh, or you really just wanted to get straight into what was it like working with Tom Baker? And I suspect, although uh, it might be interesting to hear about uh, your favourite cast member's life, possibly the main attraction for fans. And uh, actually, if I was being a bit snarky, uh, the reason uh, a number of these books are commissioned uh, is clearly the Doctor Who connection and uh, look, the hope that uh, you'll get some good stuff about the subject's time on the show. Uh, mm. Be that filming anecdotes, funny stories about the guest cast, um, guest cast, um, you know, confirming or uh, debunking certain rumours, uh, that sort of thing. So, Richard, what what does make a good Doctor Who bio or autobiography, in your opinion? I mean, is it easy to get the balance between the personal and the public right for the the, the person who's the topic of the book? If you're looking for a Doctor Who focused biography, uh, look, obviously it's got to have a fair bit of Doctor Who content, um, which uh, probably forces some of the other uh, material into the background. If you look at a book like uh, Matthew Waterhouse's, uh, say um, his book's called Blue Box Boy, um, that's almost entirely concerned with his two years on Doctor Who, um, and you learn virtually nothing about his personal life. Um, I mean, that doesn't make it a bad book. Um, actually, quite the opposite, in fact. But um, it, it's his experiences playing Adric and little else. So if you were hoping for an insight into his life, uh, look, that's... Uh, not going to give you one. I mean, I guess in the context of, of a Doctor Who-focused bio, the JNT one's uh, probably fairly unique because uh, once he gets onto the show, um, his life's uh, inextricably linked, uh, almost, um, with the series, and, and for better or worse. And really, you can chart his uh, his personal and professional life uh, almost simultaneously, as, as you know, as the show goes down, so does he, really. 
Mm. Um, and, you know, the show hinders the wilderness years and, and really that's, you know, very sad. The last couple of chapters of that book are, are actually really quite sad. I mean, look, the Jane T one's probably an extreme example. I mean, Barry Letts's Who and Me uh, is another one with a, with a very heavy uh, Doctor Who slant. Um, I mean, you don't you learn a little bit about Barry Letts. Probably that the, the, the um, disappointing thing with that book is uh, it it uh, it was planned as one of two because um, it really only goes up to the demons. And unfortunately, we were sort of uh, denied the opportunity, I guess, for him to write another, which was very sad. And then, I guess, if you have a lot of Doctor Who content, you sort of go right to the other end of the spectrum, and you get a book like Annika Wills's uh, two books, and they're really not about Doctor Who at all. They're really about her life, but um, they're incredibly open and honest about all the things that have happened and that i found that a, a quite a remarkable read but uh as i said the doctor who stuff is, is probably only a couple of pages i, I mean I, I think um one point sort of now i'm thinking about it for a lot of the classic series actors and and people doctor who's really only a few years or less in in what for a lot of them are very long careers if you look at uh, somebody like uh, say peter purvis Doctor Who's one of his first TV roles. Um, he's in it for about a year, and I mean he's still working now. So we're talking nearly another 50 years of, of uh, professional work after he leaves Doctor Who. So unless uh, you know his book is a day-by-day account of his time on the show, any book about him or that he writes is going to have like very little Doctor Who content. And and being honest, um, he probably doesn't really have a lot new to say about his time on the show. So that really becomes uh, perhaps less of a book for Doctor Who fans and maybe one more for fans of Blue Peter or some of his other work. I mean, even someone like John Pertwee, I mean, he left the show in, you know, um, in the mid-70s. I mean, he maintained a connection to the series for, for the rest of his life, but um, he had a very long life and career and, you know, Doctor Who is really only a small part of it, so his story really isn't about the show either. And that's why when he did uh, Moon Boots and Dinner Suits, it only goes up to Navy experiences and, and, and his uh, start in show business and then stops just at the at the Navy lark and it wasn't until about nearly 20 years later when he did uh, Who Is the Doctor, I think it was, with uh, David J. Howe, and that focused on his Who years exclusively. Yeah, well, he's actually, uh, I guess maybe it's a sign of he was a big enough personality, but he, he's actually got three uh, three biographies. Oh, yes, that's right, yeah. Yeah, um, he did Moon Boots and Dinner Suits, and, and you're right, that takes him uh, sort of to about the end of the Second World War, sort of start of the 1950s. I did read a thing that part of the reason he didn't really, there's a period there was uh, when his first marriage and that sort of broke down and was quite unhappy. I have read a thing that that wasn't a part of his life he was particularly keen on revisiting. Because uh, when, when Moon Boots and Dinner Suits comes out, it, it came out in the early 80s, um, and it was for a time an incredibly hard book to find. It was only like one print run. Um, it was a very, very hard book to find. Yeah. And uh, a few years after he died, a chap called uh, Bernard Bale did a, a, an authorised mm. biography, and because you couldn't get Moon Boots at the time, the first probably half of uh, Bernard Bale's biography is a heavily abridged version of Moon Boots, and then you sort of get some fairly generic stuff on his other work. But uh, what makes that book interesting is uh, the last uh, probably five or six chapters are, are written by uh, uh, Pertwee's wife uh, Ingeborg, which give quite a personal insight it's sort of into their life together. And they're, they're probably, to be honest, they're probably about, if you've got Moon Boots, they're probably about the only chapters of that book worth reading. There's the third one, which um, is the one he did with David Howe just before, actually the second one chronologically. But um, the, the other one is... Um, 
the book he did with David Howe, which was finished only oh, well, basically a couple of weeks before he passed away. Yeah, because there's a little blurb in the front of the book from Howe saying, you know, he um, gave it with the cover photo and the proof to read. Um, and then, uh, you know, he says, oh, I'm off to, off to America, I'll give you a call when I'm back. And obviously that was the last he ever saw of him, but well, that was supposed to be a book about John Pertwee's entire life, but uh, the publisher really wasn't interested in it if it wasn't a Doctor Who book. So there's a couple of little short things about some of the rest of his career, but the, the, the main grunt of that book, yeah, is, is, about, um, uh, is, is about his time on Doctor Who. first four Doctors have had uh, biographies, or, or in Tom Baker's case, uh, an autobiography, what do you think the differences are between those those books? To be honest, Tom Baker's one is is probably a book only Tom Baker could write. It's a fairly um, it's a bit of a scattergun book and a, a fairly sort of anecdotal uh, trip through his life. I mean, there's huge sections there that are glossed over, mm. and then some that are the sort of you know in, in, in surprising detail. Uh, it's probably a bit unusual because that one um, it's a book I, I've been a bit surprised that uh, it's never been reprinted because uh, it would be a about 20 years old now, nearly. Was it 96 or 98 it came out? Early 98, I think, so... Um, well, late 97. You know, I, I'm surprised that no one's... I can only assume he's not interested, because I would have imagined that somebody would have approached him to, to either, um, either at least reprint it, even if he doesn't want to add mm. to it. You would have a reprint done, because the Moon Boots and Dinner Suits book's been reprinted, and uh, William Hartnell's, which again was a very hard book to find. Yes. Um, for a long time um, was reprinted last mm. year. Well, that one's written by his granddaughter, uh, the Hartnell one. And that's... Uh, actually, I quite enjoyed that one because she um, starts off, she sort of gives a, a chapter or so at the start when she talks about what it was like being Doctor Who's granddaughter. Um, so, basically, her recollections. Um, and then, obviously, she then does the treatment of his of his life and career. Um, and that's uh, quite open and quite honest. I mean, you, you sort of get to the, the bit where he's, you know, sort of in the late 50s, where he's obviously starting to become a bit typecast. Um, and you sort of get the impression he's actually a bit of a bitter man, I think. Really, the only stuff he ever gets offered, really, is, is playing, you know, roles similar to that he had on the Army game. Yeah. Um, or some of the military theme stuff he did. And then, of course, he gets this sporting life, and, and then, of course, he gets, you know, Doctor Who, and he initially falls in, just falls in love with the role. Of course, you have that sort of sad little thing at the end, you know, where he suddenly realises he has to leave. Well, let's uh, stray off topic for a second. Did anybody listen to the recovered uh, William Hartnell Desert Island disc recording that's been released a couple of weeks ago? Um, I listened to part of it. I can't honestly say I sat and listened to all the music. Um, I was more just jumping to try and find the bits where he started talking again. Yeah. Um, it's actually very strange hearing his voice because he doesn't sound anything like really the first Doctor at all. If you compare him speaking in 65... To that clip they had on the 10th Planet DVD. It just seems to have aged in a year. Oh, I think so. Well, I mean, there's those stories about, you know, when he gets near the end, he's getting... Uh, I mean, I think um, the, the special... When he's having visions of Matt Smith. <laughs> I was about to say, I, I think that special obviously makes it uh, very writ large, but, I mean, there are those sort of stories, you know, he used to get incredibly frustrated with people because he couldn't remember his lines. And, of course, they're under immense pressure to keep filming. Anyway, we digress. It's funny because, like, I'm looking at my bookshelf now and I've got the reprint for the Who's There one. And I've also got the reprint of the Patrick Troughton one, which is written by uh, Michael Troughton. I mean, look, it's the only biography of Troughton you're obviously going to get. And I, I think that must have been quite a difficult book, I think, probably for his son to yeah. write. Um, some parts of it. I, I did uh, have a thing, there were certain members of his family that sort of said uh, Michael was probably the only one of the family who could have written it because he's about the only one who talks to um, other people in the family mm. and probably is a bit free of some of the baggage. Mm. Like his daughter, um, I, I know didn't talk to him for years. Yeah. 
um, before he died, the one who lived here for a mm. time. It's, a, it's an interesting book. It's quite a sad book, actually, because he clearly... I mean, people obviously loved him who worked with him, but he clearly had a very intense personal life. Yes. And, and obviously a very difficult one. I feel actually very sorry for his poor first wife, you know, having to sort of go around and pretend they're still a happy family so Grandma doesn't, um, you know... Yeah, so Grandma doesn't know that they're separated. And then living in the hope that he might come back even though he's living with the second family and that sort of falls apart. He goes back to the first and, yeah, it's quite... It's an emotional yo-yo, isn't it? It is very mm. much. It's, it's very sad to read. Poor woman. Mm. Just to move away from the sad stuff slightly... In terms of a resource for, for finding out or knowing more about the series, do, do any of the Doctor Who biographies offer anything that a, a reference book sort of wouldn't be able to, in terms of, you know, behind-the-scenes activities and stuff like that? Probably not in terms of facts and figures and whatever. They're more probably anecdotes. Um, I mean, look, you could look at something like the, the J&T one, and it's hard to keep coming back to that, but, I mean, that probably just shows you what a, what a train wreck the mid-'80s was. Um, in terms of working on the show and being in the production office and, and indeed being in the BBC and having them you know, not really be very interested in you or your program at all. In terms of some of the others though, look, it's more probably anecdotes and they tend to be more about you know, this happened during filming um, or you know, this particular guest, car, uh, guest cast member did this or said this or we went here or we did this while they were on set. Um, sort of material so I guess it all adds to the the rich tapestry and the um, overall sort of uh, big picture of the show I guess for want of a better word but um, I probably wouldn't be using them as a hard resource on the series no. So apart from the J&T biography uh, which um, book did you find the most interesting or surprising in terms of its content? All things considered probably Annika Wills's because I um I don't really know what I was expecting when I got them, but uh, she's had an unusual life and a very difficult and painful life at, at times. And I mean, not just the stuff with Michael Goff. I mean, she sort of seems to lurch from failed relationship to failed relationship, and then she had the whole stuff with her brother, dying in mysterious circumstances mm. and then losing her daughter, um, and then, you know, living in the ashram for a period of time. I mean, she's had a, a quite a... a broad life and she's quite open about it too very open and honest about all the good and bad experiences other than that though um Liz Sladen's was one I was quite keen to get when it was released as indeed was Troughton's but uh, <laughs> the, the Troughton one actually was probably more because I had to jump through hoops because I, I got I managed to track a first edition of it down but um I, I had to jump through several hoops to try and get one uh given the problems with the publisher if I was taking a more cynical approach, look, I was certainly surprised uh, by the content of the Lala Ward one that came out <laughs> recently. Uh, books probably doing it, a, uh, being a bit nasty, books probably doing it a bit of a, a, a sort of pamphlet <laughs> actually would be uh, probably closer to the truth. Yeah, that that was more because I, I was just uh, disappointing. I, I mean, look, I wasn't expecting, a, uh, well, from the publisher's description, I wasn't expecting a, a tell-all extravaganza, but... Uh, I really wasn't expecting a picture book either, so um, with with two or three lines of text per page. So, yeah, that that one certainly surprised me when I opened the envelope. It just sort of fell out, but very like a pamphlet. It did, and I was sort of shaking the envelope trying to see where the Anything actual else book was. Yeah. <laughs> to your knowledge, has there been anybody who has refused to do a, a an autobiography or or have a biography of them of themselves published? Um, I know Colin Baker's knocked back. Uh, some overtures to, to write his down and, and he 
uh, said partly because there's a lot of stuff he probably doesn't remember particularly well now. Season 22, probably. I like season 22. <laughs> I know, they winding you up. It's the twin dilemma then. I can defend the twin dilemma, by the way, but anyway. You like it more than Death in Heaven. <laughs> I was just going to say, he just blanked out Eric Saywood. But, <laughs> I'm, uh, LHR, I I, I'm blanked out Death in Heaven, I can tell you right now. <laughs> uh. <laughs> yeah, I think um, he said no, and he said I think there was a few areas of his life he probably wasn't, again, probably that, not that keen on revisiting. But Michael Grade probably was. Yeah. <laughs> To be honest, I've not read any Doctor Who biographies at all. I have no particular interest in the, the life and times of actors or musicians or, you know, circus performers. You've read the J&T one, Oh, yeah, I have too. Thanks for reminding me. <laughs> but that was a car crash. I was lined up for that. I mean, is... Are there... Are, there, are they of any... I mean, you know, literary merit or anything like that. I mean, are they uh, in the main? Are they well written? You know, look. I mean, there's some of them that are, I'd have to describe as pot boilers, and uh, you know that that I, I personally didn't get a lot out of. I, I think there are some quite good ones in there. I, I think the Hartnell one's quite a, uh, mm. as I said, quite a well written book, and I think that'd be worth your time. The um, the Pertwee one. Um, we're sort of getting into a top five here, but I mean, the Pertwee one, his first one, Moon Boots and Dinner Suits, I actually think it's just a good read. I mean, look, it's not a Doctor Who book, but um, I mean, it's told in his sort of larger than life style. So that one's actually quite a good read. He wrote that? That wasn't ghosted or anything? No, as far as I'm aware, he wrote that himself. I mean, look, I don't doubt he had editorial help, mm. but but yeah, I mean, that's a, as I said, it, it's told in his um, very much, you know, uh, bigger than life and, and probably, uh, you know, never let the truth get in the mm. way of a good yarn. Mm. But, um, I mean, that, that, that's just a really quite good read. I, I would recommend Waterhouse as one as one to read. I think that's quite a good one. There's a very good book if you're interested in um, how uh, Russell T Davies and, and how the show came back. Um, there's a book called T is for Television. It's not really a biography per se. It's basically a, a book about Russell T Davies and his career on, on TV. And the latter sections of it are about him bringing Doctor Who back. That part of it in particular is quite interesting. But quite a, a large number of new series unauthorised biographies haven't there yeah we probably should talk about the new series ones actually because um we've sort of uh, mainly been about mm. the, the classic stuff uh, so far that probably is the thing i mean if you look at the the new series ones um and look i i i can say i've read pretty much all of the classic series ones I, i've only read a few of the new series ones but uh, let's look I, I honestly don't really have the same attachment to the new series as i do to the classic stuff so gasp um Probably, <laughs> yeah, I know, I'm a bad fan. Um, so look, probably reading the biographies of some of the stars is of less interest. Well, when you have someone like Billy Piper releasing a biography at the age of 25... Yeah, but she was Britain's hottest star at the time. Didn't you know that, Rob, according to the front of one of the biographies? But, I mean, this, this, is, this is where I, I, I turn my nose up at, you know, new series biographies, because they largely appear to be, anyway, to me... To be just mere cash-in jobs, and someone who's lived twenty-five years and, and spent like ten years in the in the in the the, the light of, of you know fame and all that sort of thing hasn't really lived the life at all. It's just it's it's ridiculous. No, true. I mean, look, the, the first thing you do notice about most of the new series ones is look, they are nearly all unauthorized. Um, so I guess look, that probably gives you some indication, perhaps, as to the quality of the content. I mean, look, if if you want pot boilers, actually, some of those really are. I mean, they are. You're right. They're quick cash-in books. Um, with a lot of recycled content. I read a, an, an appalling one about David Tennant that um, was mostly filler and it, it had whole pages weren't even about him. It was just dedicated to people he worked with um, and, and projects they'd been on. I actually braved the Matt Smith one also, which came out probably just around the time he started on the show. 
um, or during his first season. And and the first half of that really is just an explanation of what Doctor Who is. Great. It, it hardly yeah, it hardly even mentions him. It's it's all about Doctor Who. And and I suppose as a fan, you can sit there and pick out a lot of the stuff that's wrong. And and then the second half, you get into to about him. And it, it's again, it's just all stuff recycled out of either magazine interviews, you know, out of the tabloids, uh, or the good old the rumor file those sort of things i mean having said that look there's really only out of the people in the new series i mean look there's really only there's there's books on tenant i think there's three tenant ones um there's a book on matt smith there's a uh, john barrowman actually writes his own um and i believe they're meant to be quite good he's done two one sort of looking at his career and the other one more about his personal life um, and I, I believe they're meant to be quite good. And there's a non-authorised one about Catherine Tate. And then uh, you get to the Billy Piper ones. Well, with her, there were two uh, unauthorised ones that came out within about two months of each other. Um, and they're both pretty ordinary. Um, and then the third one that comes out is actually written by her. And I, I'm assuming that's to set the record straight, all the crap that's in the other ones, um, I think. The ones I read were pretty ordinary. I suspect an Eccleston one might be a bit interesting, but um, I, I don't know that he'd actually be a particularly good interview subject. No. So, Christopher, how, how was your career in, in acting? Silence for 10 seconds. No, mm. dot, 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 dot. I refuse to return your phone What happens to that second series, Chris? <laughs> awkward silence. Silence. Yeah. <laughs> the, the awkward silence is... Uh... Also, uh, Richard Molesworth did a, uh, a biography on Robert Holmes. He did. It was called A Life in Words. I've started reading that, and uh, so far, a very interesting read. Delves into his private life, uh, which, you know, we had a very cursory, uh, scant knowledge of, but uh, so far into it, it sort of it fleshes out his, his time as a policeman and, and, and as a reporter. So I'm looking forward to getting more into that, and obviously it will cover his Doctor Who work and, and all the other, other shows he worked on as well. And I think it touches a bit on, on his work on, on trial as well. But again, I don't think uh, Mr. Sayward was, uh, wanted to be interviewed for that, so they've had to go and use um, old DWB interviews and things like that. It strikes me that a lot of the behind-the-scenes people from the classic series led more interesting lives in their you know their their, their youth or their early uh, adulthood mm. than a lot of the uh, the modern series uh, you know behind the scenes people are actors because i mean you, Holmes obviously you know police officer journalist he, he come up from a, through a different path to the show lived a more interesting and varied life uh, as opposed to say no offense to David Tennant, but David Tennant's been an actor basically all his life what did he do before that did he was he you know newspaper boy something like that i mean it's, it's, it's interesting that people who lived, you know, born 60 or 70 or 80 years ago seem to have had the more interesting and varied lives than the, the, the more modern people who live more specialised lives. I suppose part of it is, see, if you look at a lot of the um, early, particularly like 60s Doctor Who and 70s Doctor Who, you've got people who've, who've either uh, lived through or fought in the Second World War. You've mm. then sort of got the ones who... Um, you know, grew up in the 50s, who then, um, Tom Baker is an example, you know, who then were basically compelled to go and do national service. Um, they weren't old enough, obviously, to, to fight in the Second World War, but they um, found themselves doing national service. So you've probably got a group of people who had a reasonable bit of life experience before, you know, the acting bug took them, unless you're somebody like, say, Fraser Hines, who was a child star. You, you've got people who'd done, I mean, let's face it, we all know about Tom went into the monastery for, for several years. Um, as well and then came out and then was made to do his national service you're probably in an era where people when they left school of course would, would go and sit entrance exams for banks and for the public service 
um, and for large corporations, which you don't have now. And then you go and do the entrance exam, and of course, if they thought you were good enough, they take you on as a, as a you know, as an intern or as a cadet. Um, and you'd sort of work your way up through the company and maybe after five to ten years there you'd start to get disillusioned and look for something else to do and then of course that's when you start you know ghosting uh, you know freelance writing or you you start doing some acting work and then suddenly that becomes your profession have you read fraser heinz's uh, autobiography i have there are two uh, one's really mm. uh, an updated one version of the other the, the first one is called um films farms and fillies to be honest it could uh i hope i'm not going to get you into trouble here to be honest it could probably be called films farms and fornicating because <laughs> <laughs> he he seems to have a new girlfriend every couple of pages <laughs> hey man it was the 60s all right uh, yeah well very much so until he gets married the, the first time um <laughs> the first time <laughs> <laughs> He does. He seems to have a, 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 um, a new girlfriend every few pages. I mean, you then sort of get out of the Doctor Who stuff and then, you know, he gets into Emmerdale and some of his later work. Because, I mean, he was, a, again, as I said a few minutes ago, look, he, he was a child star and he did a lot of movies and a lot of um, early TV shows. Both of you have met, personally met Fraser Hines uh, at a pub night, is that correct? I wasn't there. You were there, Richard. I wasn't there. I met him yeah. in a lift. Just as Jamie. Just to digress slowly, uh, you know, meeting him in the flesh up close, having a beer with him or several and listening to him recount stories, uh, is the, uh, you know, the way he speaks and all that sort of thing, is that the same sort of tone he takes in his book? He was a very nice bloke. I, I, we did spend an evening in uh, a drinking establishment with him um, and he, it was very good. I mean, his book, um, he has a, a bit of a, um, what we call a standard convention patter. Mm-hmm. Um, which he has a, a reasonably set block of stories that he tells as a um, as his sort of little spiel. And the, the probably the interesting thing is they're pretty much word for word what's in the book. So he's obviously quite uh, you know rehearsed them until they're now just you know second nature. Mm-hmm. I mean he tells a story about um, you know finding Deborah Watling's knickers uh, when they were filming um, uh, Evil of the Daleks, and then again when they were filming Web of Fear. Um, you know, the bit about the kilt story with Wendy Pabry when they were rehearsing. So we've talked about all the, you know, the biographies that have, have been uh, released. Which which major actors or participants in the show, say, other than Colin Baker? I mean, has Nick Courtney had a biography come out? Are there any ones that are glaring omissions? He's had two. Hmm. Um, I the, Am Not the... the Iron Patriot. Oh, oh, oh don't go there. <laughs> Iron Maiden. <laughs> yeah, pl- please don't go there. Like, like you, I'm just trying to expunge that from my memory. <laughs> Um, he uh, he had a, a large format book, which was called Five Rounds Rapid. Yeah. Um, which came out, I think, around the same time as the I Am the Doctor one. There was a, a series of audios he did called Was it a Soldier in Time? Was that the one for Big Finish? Yes. Yes. That yeah, was. that was actually really good. Yeah, it's it's basically a written version of that, mm. really. But he then published um, a, a second one, which is uh, called Still Getting Away with It, that came out not all that long, I don't think, before he passed away. I think, which which was quite a good read. Again, he'd had quite a long life and career. I mean, you know, he was born in in Egypt and what have you. So no, there are there is a, uh, there are biographies on him. I was just going to say about you know five rounds rapid that book because that was edited by JNT. Yes, it was. And from all I can see, he did was insert Doctor Who stories that the actors that Nick Courtney mentions in the narrative. So he'll say like Freddie Yeager. He'll have Freddie quote the Invisible Enemy. Close quote, Jaeger. And I found that annoying. Absolutely annoying. Yeah. The, the interesting thing, actually, with the classic series ones, you sort of get to Matthew Waterhouse and then they just stop. There's really no one from the Davison era who's put pen to paper. I mean, there's one coming on Ainley 
uh, Anthony Ainley this year. That will be interesting. I think so. I, I'm hoping. Uh, I'm hoping it might address because I know there are a few uh, sort of rumours about him, which I'm, I'm hoping maybe this one might address. There's also comments in the uh, J and T book about his uh, love for the cash. And there's that other bizarre story. It was from one of the cons where he got up and he wanted to know whether the, the was it Clayton Hickman. Uh, from DWM, he demanded to know whether he was in the room, and then spent five minutes having an argument with him about the fact that he hadn't been paid for use of some of his photographs. <laughs> <laughs> like JNT, I'm sure he was a fairly divisive figure, so it depends on who you speak with, isn't it? In, in terms of who hasn't written one, the, the two I'd like to see probably want to be William Russell because mm. I, I think he'd have a I mean again look he's been you know a, a very long career and I think he'd have a wealth of stuff he could talk about again look Doctor Who would only be a very small part of it but uh, I, I think he'd be someone Terence Dix actually I think would be somebody who would be quite interesting uh, and I think having heard uh, having heard his, his little talk at the um, at the Lords of Time thing the Connie did out here a, a couple of months back. Um, I actually think his could be a quite, a, quite an interesting book. You mentioned uh, about the saturation. Th- there has been, I mean, we're, we're sort of getting to a point now where you're getting um, books by, there's, there's sort of a book about Malcolm Hulk, um, there's a book about Kit Peddler, there's uh, Michael E. Bryan who directed, uh, I think it's six yeah, stories. Yeah. Um, he's, he's written one. Um, there, there was, um, I mean, Terry Nation's probably not a, a, a what we call a minor player, but um, the, the Terry Nation one actually is not bad. It's, um, it's a very, very good thing about his work. Um, it doesn't really tell you a lot about him. That one's probably not a bad one. But, um, yeah, you're, you're sort of getting to the point, because a lot of them are done by small publishers. So they're a niche market, and I, I think they've obviously sussed out that there's a set portion that will just buy them because they've got a, a Doctor Who link yeah you know and you you can find out i mean kit peddler was you know he worked on the cybermen and he worked on a few stories but um it's got all this other stuff he did later about you know how he got into habitat for the homeless boring um, or whatever it was yeah <laughs> well i wasn't going to say that but i uh, did <laughs> see i'd find that interesting because like malcolm hulk and kit peddler died before the show became quote big so a lot of their early life, apart from you know Terence Dick saying that Malcolm Hulk was a, a communist, it's sort of it's sort of un, uncharted territory for me. So I'm really looking forward to reading uh, the Malcolm Hulk one in particular. I was going to say, is that around the same time he said Pertwee wasn't a great actor? Did Terence say that? Did he? Yeah, if you watch um, that, that, if you get your blue your spearhead Blu-ray out mm. and you put on the, the there's that Pertwee uh, retrospective yep. on there, and the the very first line of it. Is Terence going? Well, John wasn't the greatest actor. Oh but... dear! <laughs> but he was the man. That is uncanny. It's nearly as good as my Tom Baker. It is. It's uncanny. Oh, oh. that's right. Bowie said to me. Oh, Bowie said to me. <laughs> <laughs> Do you reckon a Tony Coburn book might get uh, <laughs> might get a go? <laughs> as, as soon as you buy it, it catches on fire. That's how angry it is. <laughs> <laughs> With a writ. Yeah. Attached to it. Yeah. Yeah, the TARDIS is mine. Mine, I tell you. <laughs> I mean, you really want a bloke who got stiffed and, and deni- you know, undeniably got stiffed. Poor old Raymond Cusick. Mm, um, that's right, isn't it? Um, That'd yeah. be a biography, wouldn't it, really? Well, he, he released... A, it's not actually a biography. It's a, Telos did a book, um, his design sketches, 
Um, it was like a big sort of coffee table type mm-hmm. book. They did um, another one for the guy. Uh, what was the guy who did uh, design the Aztecs? Barry Newbury. Barry Newbury, that's it. They're big sort of coffee table type books. So Richard, what comes at the bottom of your autobiography slash biography Doctor Who pile? Uh, other than the Matt Smith and the Tenant ones I mentioned a little earlier, I, I would just avoid those like the plague. They're, they're terrible books. I'm, I'm going to pick on... Uh, and, and I'm sorry in advance if you're listening. I, I'm going to pick on Peter Purvis. That's like shooting Bambi. Isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I suspect this uh, this might be one perhaps I'd have got a bit more out of if I'd grown up in England, maybe. Because, I mean, look, this, the early stuff about his uh, years in weekly repertory theatre was quite good and quite interesting. And then, you know, the quick turnaround they had to do and, you know, they, had, they were working on performing one script and working on two more. Uh, learning two more plays um, was, was quite interesting, but I found it very hard to, to, to get into because really the bulk of his career is stuff that was just never on TV here. And you probably would have noticed that, Mark, when you left England, that you know there was no Blue Peter on here. Yes, one of the many things I missed: the three-day week, <laughs> power cuts, different music. Yeah, where was I? So Peter Purvis in the bin. Uh, well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, no. Look, as I said, if I'd grown up in England, I, I think that might have been a, a book I'd have perhaps got more out of. He did a, a motorcycle, a motorbike time trial show called Kickstart. Um, which, again, was never on here. And, I mean, he was with Crufts. Now, Crufts is a dog show. I mean, the closest I ever got to Crufts is that episode of The Goodies. The Goodies. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly right. So, you know, uh, 90% of his career just whoosh, straight over the top of my head. So, so I'm sorry, yeah. Peter. The second one I'd probably... Choose, I mean, I've mentioned the Lala Ward pamphlet. The, um, the third one uh, I'm going to pick is John Leeson's, uh, actually. Now... It's been re-released with a, a slightly expanded text. The, the thing I found with John Leeson, it's a very strange book, because he's done a lot of interesting things. I mean, look, you know, he was K-9. Um, he was Bungle the Bear, in, uh, the original Bungle the Bear in Rainbow. He was. Um, I mean, he works, you know, he's uh, worked as a circuit magistrate. I mean, he's a wine taster um, or a wine uh, reviewer. Connoisseur. <laughs> Connoisseur. Um, and I mean, he's, I think he's actually also a fairly good cook, but and, and his book has recipes in it, the last uh, several pages, so I don't know whether they're the ones that didn't make it into Gary Downey's cookbook. Oh, yes. <laughs> I was going to say, if you want a blatant, blatant Doctor Who cash in. And, and remember, folks, the dead cannot sue. <laughs> the Kipper of Traken, was that one? Yes, of? that is one of them. There's that, and there's those two dreadful books, uh, and again, the dead can't sue, but uh, those two terrible books Jane too wrote, the, the Companions and the, and the TARDIS Inside oh, Out. Yes. They, they yeah. are dreadful books. I think the second one's worse than the first one, although I do have a hardback edition of the first one. Oh, really? <laughs> I do. Mm. I, I've still got the pattern book, and I kept that for some of the pictures, because they, they, some of the pictures in it are great. Oh, the action man, yeah, just the like action. Patrick Trout, and then the <laughs> ball of wool as a yeti. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and there's a picture inside the front cover of like this whole row of G.I. Joes dressed as doctors with their staring eyes with facing off against the master. They actually have a premonition of Eccleston, aren't they? <laughs> Although Eccleston has returned to the role. Did you see that thing on YouTube where he helped that guy propose to his girlfriend so everybody's jumping up and down saying, see, he doesn't hate Doctor Who. Oh, really? Was he in character? His voice sounds the same anyway, doesn't it? Will you marry me, you stupid ape? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a bit more tactful than that. Can you feel the earth spinning beneath your feet? Don't listen, Richard. The problem with the book, he doesn't really go into any depth about any of it. It's very uh, very superficial. And I don't know whether that's he's either a very private person or he's just really too nice to say very much. Because, I mean, he worked with Tom, um, you know, during Tom's 
difficult period. Book doesn't even mention it. He talks about being canine and some of the things that happened, but you know how he used to crawl around on the floor with a paper bag on his head. And then he went into work. You know, I mean, there's those stories about, you know, Kane would break down and Tom would rectify things by kicking the prop across the room or swearing at it and then, you know, just throwing it across the across the TARDIS set. And then you sort of see the poor visual effects guy sort of scurrying, taking away the broken remains of Kane 9 And the director says, well, we better go and film something else then. Mark, did you got anything? Sophie Aldred's Ace book. Yes. Well, that's a good example of a good coffee site, coffee table book, isn't it? It is. It's, it's another large format book, like the Five Rounds Rapid and uh, the I Am the Doctor. It's probably it's probably not so much an autobiography. I mean, look, there's a bit about her, uh, and it's really more her recollections of the stories. Should we talk about what biographies we'd like to see? Uh, well, I did. I did uh, William Russell and... Uh, oh, yeah. What ones, would you, what ones would you like to see? I would like to see Eric Sayward biography. Well, I think he did. It was a Starburst interview. <laughs> All friends portrayed. Only hate keeps me alive. <laughs> <laughs> is, that, is that his biography's yeah, the title? Oh, that would be only an awesome biography title. Eric Saywood, Only Hate Keeps Me Alive. <laughs> Emperor Palpatine. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so you'd like to see Eric Saywood. Eric um, Saywood. I'm looking forward to the Verity Lambert one as well. I'd like to see Davison do an autobiography as well. Actually, isn't Sylvester McCoy doing one? Isn't he in the, in the middle of writing one at the moment? I know he was approached. I, I don't know whether he actually agreed to do one or not. Mm. I, I haven't seen I haven't seen one announced. And David Whittaker. Yeah, Whittaker would be interesting. There are some writers or, or production people out there who you virtually know nothing about. Unlike, a, say, a, a, a politician or a, you know a major historical figure, where there is troves and troves of of documentation about their lives. We're talking about people who've worked in the in the entertainment industry. And, you know, all the impact of their work is on the screen in, in terms of all the behind the stuff, the behind the scenes stuff. It's, it's more prosaic, personal, domestic family life. Hmm. Uh, as for me, uh, thanks, for, thanks for asking, uh, fellas. What, what about you, Robert? Because I'm a bit of a wannabe writer, I'd, I'd, I'd like to see uh, perhaps a, a book on, say, Terence Dix. Uh, because aside from his you know, Doctor Who work, he's, he's a very, has been a very prolific you know, children's writer. He has, uh, uh, you know, dozens and dozens and dozens of books. If you if you want to count them all up, so I think Terence Dix would be an interesting character. I mean, I, we uh, we mentioned a couple of episodes ago his appearance here in Australia at a convention, and he uh, his his uh, his uh, recounting of the series and his work on it was very interesting. So I think he'd have a lot of you know stories to tell and, and, and interesting things about his life apart from Doctor Who. Anybody else? No. Not particularly. I mean, unless it's juicy and salacious and, and, and particularly interesting, it, it revolves around a particularly interesting point in the show's history. I mean, that's why I like the J&T biography, not because it was salacious. I mean, you know, there are plenty more people out there who do worse things in their private lives than J&T did. But um, if, if you have that intersection between someone's personal life and their professional life, and it's an interesting point in the show's history... Uh, I think that would be interesting, but I mean, really, in terms of the, the show, the only really the thing that sort of lives up to that would be, you know, during the eighties. I mean, the sixties and the seventies was a continuous run of success, and and now with the modern era, there's very little in the way of controversy. Do you think uh, maybe somebody like Philip Hinchcliffe would be would be interesting to read about? Yes, actually, he would, because he's had a varied career outside Doctor Who as well, either side of it. Uh, he's been very successful in his field, but. Um, yeah, it would be interesting. I mean, you'd, I mean, you don't want a biography, I suppose, that is just a, a roll call of his a person's greatest career hits. greatest hits, yeah. because it. I mean, you know, and, and as you said about Peter Purvis, I mean, a lot of uh, Hinchcliffe stuff probably never made it to Australia in a sense. Um, but I mean, he was the man at the top, and uh, as long as he, he would be able to give interesting insights about the people he worked with, candid, 
you know, not to, to tear them down, but, I mean, you know, what Tom Baker was like to work with in the early part of his career and, and you know, his working relationship with Robert Holmes and, and you know, how his career developed after Doctor Who would, would all be interesting, I, I would imagine. In probably about 20 years' time, you might see autobiographies by Russell T. Davis and uh, Stephen Moffat. We just keep talking about the classic series because that's what I suppose that primarily our love is. But I think with the, with the uh, passage of time and... and 10 or 15 years, um, those two gents might have a crack and that'd be a fairly interesting read, especially from RTD in terms of bringing the show back. And, and the truth about Christopher Eccleston's departure. The thing is there, those fellows will still have ongoing and uh, you know very uh, successful careers, even in 10 or 15 years' time. And I, I don't think that they'll be wanting to burn any bridges uh, you know, f- for, for a good long time. I think, I think it might take uh, a behind-the-scenes book to bring all that interesting stuff to the fore that's not authorised by anyone, that, that, that does a DWB effectively on them. Um, I, I think that RTD will still be firmly ensconced in the industry, same with Moffat, and they won't want, to, won't want to torture anyone you know, just yet unless someone does that to them. The BBC released The Inside Story, uh, I think it was in 2006 by Gary Russell, which was supposed to be the, you know, the insider's view on the making of, of the series and bringing it back. What, how I photocopied a few scripts dead at Cardiff? Yeah, along those lines, but it's very all lovey-dovey. And of course, it just mentions that, you know, Christopher Eccleston was only signed on for one season and, you know, that was it. It's not going to be a tell-all. So it needs to be, where's Gary Lee when you need him? Bring him back, <laughs> get DWB happening again. Well, there was that, um, there was that Russell T Davies book, The, the Writer's Tale. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's, that's fairly in-depth about probably how the show is, is being made now. Um, and you, you know, you literally have these scripts being written, you know, 20, 25, 30 drafts, which you know is is markedly different, I think, to what happened in the uh, what happened in the in the 70s. You know, where Terence Dix would uh, get the story idea, give the writers a heap of uh, their feedback, um, they'd go away and write the script, and then he'd kick it into shape. Richard, uh, thanks so much for being on this episode of 42 to Doomsday. Uh, we've enjoyed having you on, and I hope you've enjoyed being on. Thanks so much for coming on. No, it's been great, guys. Thanks um, thanks for having me on. Hopefully it's interesting to listen to. Once again, thanks everyone for listening in to another episode of 42 to Doomsday. I've been Rob. I've been Mark. And I've been Richard. Keep punching! You've just listened to another episode of 42 to Doomsday, the podcast that loves talking about Doctor Who. We'd love to hear from our listeners. Please drop us a line at 42 to Doomsday at gmail.com. We can be reached at facebook.com forward slash 42 to Doomsday. If brevity is your game, we can be found on Twitter at 42 to Doomsday. Please check out our blog, 42 to Doomsday.wordpress.com, where Mark and I occasionally have something interesting to say. Aside from iTunes, you can listen to us via Stitcher and Player FM. If you enjoyed listening to us, leave a review on iTunes. As always, thank you for listening. Have a great week. We'll speak with with you again soon.